let's pray. God, I thank you for tonight. And Lord, I was joking earlier that this must be a, this must be a text that you're really going to bless us with tonight because we had some fun technical difficulties and just so glad to be able to be in this book and to, to read uh, this dialogue that was preserved for us. Again, it's not written to us, Lord, but preserved for us. And we get to, to unpack this. And we, I pray that we're challenged and encouraged and we can just throw ourselves into Habakkuk's world for just one evening. And uh, we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are in the book of Habakkuk. And if you want to be all literal, you can say Habakkuk. But uh, honestly, I just always said Habakkuk. And this is maybe that's a um, kind of a Midwestern Chicago thing where we accent the middle syllable. But it's just the way it is. Habakkuk. And we are, this is, this is going to continue our summer trend of uh, lesser known books of the Old Testament. Although that's not true. I guess Jonah's pretty well known. But, you know, nobody just camps out in the book of Nahum and just checks that out. And we're going to be in a book tonight that I think that it's, it's going to change your life because it's three chapters of an interesting dialogue. It's what makes the book of Job extra fun when God finally starts talking. And you have to wait like 39 chapters for God to start talking. And we've heard all these chapters of Job and Job and Job and his friends and all that. And finally, God says something. And then all of a sudden, Job gets really, really interesting. Well, in Habakkuk, Habakkuk's going to unburden himself and God's going to answer him. And so Habakkuk is in this position where his society is just broken. It is, we're just going to look at where he's at in the nation of Judah and it is just messed up. We're going to read some depressing things tonight. And it is very tempting to look at our culture and go, yep, that's us. Or boy, we struggle with that. And there's all kinds of political divides. And each side of that divide would say, see, Habakkuk's talking about us. And you guys are the problem. And the other side is going, no, no, no. See, he's talking about us. And you guys are the problem. And when it, when it comes down to it, um, we're not in Habakkuk's world because... Uh, we live in a free country. Habakkuk was not. And if you look at this top of the screen here, on the screen share, uh, the document, I kind of gave some dates. And in uh, kind of ending the book of Nahum, uh, Nahum was talking about uh, his, God was prophesying that the Babylonians were going to come through and wipe out the Assyrians. Well, they did so in around 626, about, about a little over 600 years before Jesus. They did. And um, in 609, um, the two major powers of the time were Babylon and Egypt. So if you can look at look on my screen, if you can see it, if you can picture the in-between there as, as Israel or the nation of uh, Palestine area, the, the Judah area, you got up here, you got Babylon, and down here you got Egypt, and you got the Mediterranean Sea, that kind of stuff. And so if they're ever going to have at each other, Israel's right in the middle. And so King Necho or Pharaoh Necho of Egypt in 609 um, he just travels up and he's going to, he wants, he wants to go help Assyria because Assyria is crumbling and it was his ally. And so they were going to, we're going to go help the Assyrians to take on Babylon. And along the way we read in the old Testament, uh, we read that, um, that Josiah for some reason got a bee in his bonnet and Josiah just, 
Um, he's like, I'm going to go take on Neko. I'm going to go stop him. I'm, I'm just going to get in the way. And we don't know why he did that because it ends up being his, he's dead. He dies after that. The last great hope that Judah had for a good king was Josiah. And for the rest of Israel or Judah's history, it's going to be Josiah's sons, one after the other. And they're all going to be puppets. And what do I mean by that? Is that the reigning power is going to make them a vassal king. They're not going to be able to do anything unless they get the permission of the reigning power. And so we have Necho kind of puts a puppet king in there, the Babylon in 605. And I put this in red because, our, because the text of Habakkuk is going to take place from 605 to 539. It's going to take place a lot. Uh, in, in this last portion of, of Judah's history. And so Babylon defeats Egypt in battle north of Judah, and it keeps the puppet. And then we have the children of, of Josiah, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, or Jehoiachin, and there's going to be a Zedekiah, and that's just going to be it. So you can check out in 2 Kings 23. It is good reading. It's almost like if you're a fan of these political shows, like a Game of Thrones or like even even like a Lord of the Rings, it's like you're just you're just taking thrones and you're switching names. And then he's going to rebel, and then Babylon's going to say, "Oh, you're going to rebel, are you? I'm going to put another guy in there." And then this guy's going to take this guy away. And it, it's actually fast reading, but it's very very depressing. So imagine you're a prophet, and you are trying to understand life. And you're seeing everything around you geopolitically and international speaking just crumbling. And you are consistently under the thumb of a world leader. And yet your God is the God of gods. Your God is King of kings and Lord of lords. But your God is not stopping things that you think he ought to stop. Your God is allowing things that you can't believe he's allowing. Your God who's been after you guys for so long to repent and turn back to him is now letting the bad guys have their way again and again and again. So if you ever look at our culture and just kind of mop your brow and go, geez, what's this world coming to? Multiply that by like a hundred and now you're Habakkuk. Now you know what's going on with Habakkuk because he's a prophet of the most high God. He is going to actually intercede for the people and pray. He's going to just converse with God, not expecting God to talk back, but God's going to talk back. So I want you to think for one second, if you had God's ear today, when we see all the division in our life, we see the backwards and forwards, we see all these things, what would you say? How would you interact? And when God speaks back, and he's not going to do that, by the way, because he's given us his word. He speaks through his word. How do we take how God deals with Habakkuk? Because Habakkuk is going to finally get a chance to talk. It's like Job 39 and 40. Finally. It's like, finally, you know, the whole time, God, Job's like, I just got to let me at him. Let me at him. Give me a chance to talk to God. I'm innocent. I'll prove it. And then finally, God says, okay, here we go. So here we are in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. Okay, and by the way, this in 539, Babylon falls to Persia. You read more of that in the book of Daniel if you'd like. Uh, contemporaries, Habakkuk, we'll get there. Uh, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received, verse 1. Um, so number one, he's a prophet. So this is going to take place, at least initially, think of the Jerusalem temple. So the northern ten tribes... 
of the nation that is called Israel or Ephraim, that is gone. Okay, that, that's, that's no longer. And so they were, they were de defeated, destroyed, they're done. So all we have left is the southern tribe, Judah. Judah is the only one that really remains. And so Judah, the capital city, the major city, Jerusalem is still there. And so he's a prophet and he's also a musician. Where in the world am I getting this? Well, the very last verse in the entire book says Habakkuk and, uh, you know, something on Shigionoth or something. And then he says, on my stringed instruments. So Habakkuk's playing a lyre or a guitar. Habakkuk is, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just going to go extra manly and say he's not plucking a harp. Okay, let's say he's got a guitar of some sort. And he is a before Jesus balladeer. He's a crooner. He, he's the one out there who's playing music on stringed instruments. Another famous person like that would be like a David. Okay. And here we have a verse here in first Chronicles 25, David together with the commanders of his army set apart some of the sons of Asaph for the ministry of prophesying accompanied by harps, lyres, and cymbals. So there was an office in the temple for people to prophesy and to play music. And so it's pretty cool. And that's, so Habakkuk is a musician as well. And uh, yes, and so we have, uh, we have Habakkuk who's a prophet, he's a musician, and his name means hug. His name actually in Hebrew means embrace, but if uh, embrace is like a hug, but it's a certain kind of hug. It is a, how do I put this? It is, it's like, a, I, I need to get warm, so I'm going to embrace something. You might, you might be cold in the middle of the night, so you kind of take your blankies, and you bring them up close to you, and you kind of hug them a bit, and you kind of just get warm. That's Habakkuk. That's what that, that embrace that is meant to bring warmth or comfort. So it, it begs the question. Habakkuk is going to be unburdening himself before Almighty God. Is he going to get his warmth? Because he's going through a lot of cold. His society is a lot of freezing cold. Is he going to get his Habakkuk? Is he going to get his warmth? And that's the underlying current there. Uh, yeah, uh, some couple things here from Mick. Habakkuk is on a social level, what Job was on a personal level. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we still see the vassal king. You're right, Mick, in terms of the first century Palestine. Exactly. That, that's King Herod. Herod's a vassal king. He's, you know, he is, you might say, king of the Jews. And so that is kind of Jesus at the end, behold the king of the Jews. That's, there's some geopolitical stuff going on there. Yeah, well, you know, David, David, did he play the harp? I don't know. That's, we'll, we'll, let, we'll let David have his manly harp. If David's going to play the harp, that can be manly. So Habakkuk is a stringed musician. We don't know what kind of music it was. But towards the end, he's going to sing a song for us. And he's going to have Habakkuk is known for a verse that's quoted in the New Testament. Habakkuk is known for quite possibly the greatest benediction in all of Scripture. It is great. It is like old school church. You stand for a benediction at the end. You read, the, you read it in Habakkuk. It is stellar. So you're going to get the righteous living by faith. Okay, just be looking forward to that. Okay. But his benediction is top-notch. There might be one that's better in the New Testament, maybe. But it's like, for my money, the benediction of Habakkuk 
is it. So that's Habakkuk. Meet Habakkuk. How you doing, pal? Okay, so Habakkuk's going to ask some questions. And it's kind of like you, what you might want to do when you want to say, oh, if I could just have God's ear. Um, you know, I don't think you could do better than Habakkuk here. Habakkuk brings it pretty cold. Watch this. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. I want you to stop right there for one second. Those are big words. Notice the book of Habakkuk continues. Why do I say that? God does not immediately smite him. <laughs> How long, Lord, am I going to have to put up with this, but you're helpless or you're hopeless. You're not doing anything about it, God. But you don't listen or cry out to you. Violence, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Ooh, Habakkuk, you're getting personal now. Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous. Justice is perverted. Now, before you think, oh, geez, it must be nice. That's our entire world right now. You've got one half of a political spectrum saying there's no justice anymore, so we're going to riot. You've got the other half saying, well, of course there's no justice because you're rioting. And that's just a simple analogy there. There's no conquering anybody. There's no vassals and suzerains or any kind of, it's like, hello, this is what's going on Habakkuk's day, where nobody is getting justice, where, yeah, we'll read more about that in a second. Um, you're going you're gonna to kind of see what's going on here. In fact, you know what, let's just read it now. Uh, this is 2 Kings 23, 34 and 35. Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, son of Josiah. Again, Josiah, the great king, who ended before his time, you might say, who made Eliakim, son of Josiah, king in place of his father, Josiah. And, he, and then he changed his name to Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim paid Pharaoh Necho the silver and gold he demanded. In order to do so, he taxed the land and exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land according to their, ass uh, their assessments. So basically, um, you're not king anymore. This guy is. And to make sure he stays in power, he's got to pay me money. We call that bribery or graft. We call that, um, <laughs> some people grew up a long time ago, they would call that the Chicago way. But that is corruption. That is as corrupt as it gets. That is pay-to-play political style. And that is... That's the world of, of Israel right now, of Judah. And yeah, so, when, so this, this opening section here, this is from 609 to 601. So what happened in 609? Go up there. Egyptian Necho marches north to help ally Assyria all, Assyria, all the way to 601. Um, uh, there's a rebellion and a new king is installed. So the new king has to be there because he gets to pay to be there. And so... It's you got to pay off the bad guys so you can still continue to exist. That is corruption 101. That is mafia shakedown, whatever you want to call it. Boom. So that is uh, what we got to get just as perverted. So how long? We're waiting for help here, God. How long? How long do we got to keep going to church? How long do we got to keep praying prayers? How long do we got to keep calling out to you, God? What is your deal? Why aren't you answering? Why do I have to keep going through this? Why is it that I have to keep suffering this way? Some of you have prayed prayers for decades. The same prayer. Maybe you're praying for a loved one to come to Jesus. 
Maybe you've got a wayward son or daughter or a grandchild. Maybe you've got somebody that you work with that you just want, you just, your, your heart just, just, just pounds for them and you want them, you have got a horrible relationship, you're just brokenness. Whatever it is, you might be tempted to go to God and say, well, gosh, God, how long? How long do I got to keep doing this? Why aren't you solving this, God? Why aren't you dealing with this? And especially in Habakkuk's day, they're God's people. I mean, God, why aren't you stepping in? Where is the God? Like, where's David's God right now? We need David's God. We need God to be God. And you're letting all this stuff go on. God, what is your deal? How long? We're waiting for help. And then he describes six things. I mean, you look at verses, um, verse three. There's six things there. Six different things that God is tolerating. God, you're letting these things go on. Injustice, wrongdoing, destruction, violence, strife, conflict. Seriously? God, you're okay with that? And if you're not okay with that, why aren't you doing anything about it? God, what is your deal? Why are you, why are you allowing our culture to go through these things? Some of you are asking those questions about our culture and what we're going through now. And you can't even read your Facebook feed because you, you're, at the end of it, you're just about ready to tear your own hair out. And the people you thought you knew are standing for things you can't believe they stand for. And the people you thought were going to stand for things aren't standing for anything. And you're sitting there making all these judgment calls. And you're, you're just, your brain is just like, and, and that is kind of like the effects of, of tribalism. Get, get two tribes and get them warring against each other. And it happens, sadly, in our churches and in our society. And yeah, Habakkuk's going through something really hard. Judah is going through a really, really, really hard time. And if these six things are present in your life, you can understand Habakkuk's tears right now. If these six things are present in your society, in your church, in your family, then when Habakkuk speaks up, you're ready for it. And you're thinking, well, yeah, God, what are you going to say to that? Number one, he's still alive to ask these questions. You're not going to smite him, but okay, God, what are you going to say? You know, I, I wasn't going to bring it up, God, because, you know, we kind of turned into Auntie M in uh, the, the Wizard of Oz when, when the, the wicked lady comes up to her and she's giving her all this garbage and she says, well, I'm a Christian woman, or I'd tell you what, you know, and she kind of rests upon her faith. It's like, well, I'd tell you what I think, but I'm a Christian woman. I'm not going to say it. So that's where we're at right now. Where we're like, okay, well, you know, now that Habakkuk brought it up, God, how about that? I mean, even now, thousands of years later, we got the same stinking stuff. God, what are you going to do about that? We can pray this exact prayer to God, can't we? Hey, God, look at the, it's, um, why are you not listening? God, we're crying out to you. Look at all the violence. I mean, my goodness. I mean, even things like statues are finding violence. God, why do you not save? Why all this injustice in our world, God? And God, there's all this wrongdoing, and I guess you could stop it. You could, like, all of a sudden just wipe us out. Why are you tolerating all this? Destruction and violence, strife and conflict? God, why? How long? How long am I supposed to, um, to deal with this? And, yeah, um, how long is used also by David in several Psalms? Exactly. And there is an intimacy with God there. It makes a great point. There, there is intimacy with God. The fact that you can still be with God to, to ask these questions. There's an intimacy with Habakkuk here. And we're going to see Habakkuk's faith today. And that faith, I pray, is really going to encourage you. But we got to continue here. Um, the approach to asking the hows and the whys with God, well, it was with dialogue. Now, understand, you're not going to have dialogue 
the way Habakkuk has dialogue. I am very leery of people who say, well, I've been praying to God and God's been saying this. I'm, I'm a little bit leery with that. If God's going to talk to you, God, God's going to talk to you through his word. And the easiest way that, and it's all anecdotal. So if you want to push back and go, well, come on, you know, God's spoken to me in my prayers. Well, God's spoken to me in my prayers too. But here's how he's spoken to me. He's reminded me of his Bible. He's told me, hey, big guy, be still. You know, the big guy, big guy upstairs, you want to call him? He said, hey, big guy, be still and know that I am God. He reminds me, the Holy Spirit reminds me of his word. You see, we don't need to hear God's voice anymore. This is what sets us apart from our Pentecostal friends. They're waiting for another special anointing, another extra bit. We have God's word and the Holy Spirit uses his word. And so the best way that God speaks to us today when we pray is through his word. So yeah, that is, so when you come before God with your hows and whys, do that. I remember, oh gosh, 20 years ago, I was just diagnosed with MS. I was a senior in college and, you know, the prime of my life. And I just remember Nobody in my family had ever gotten MS. It's just nobody in my family has it. It's just, I'm just, it's this anomaly. Okay, it's, it wasn't like a distant cousin had it or a distant aunt. No, nothing. And I just remember being there with God and saying, God, why? Why now? It was kind of cool because I was, I just finished my one and only season of college football and had, had this diagnosis come a few months earlier, I wouldn't have been able to play but it's coming now, the very end of my college experience. And I'm like, why now, God? Why this? And why me? Like, I was just going through a lot of why stuff. But here was my approach. My approach with God wasn't, how dare you? It was, okay, well, you, you did. So why? What's going on? What are you trying to teach me through this? And I had to, you know, reteach myself how to type, reteach myself how to hold a pencil, reteach myself eventually how to play guitar, all these things, you know, I told God, God, if you give me my hand back, I'll, I'll, I'll break calluses and have my fingers bleed. I can't wait. And eventually it happened. My hands are numb, but I, I'm, I'm using them. But I'm like, my, my whys and my how longs, they had this element of faith in God and his sovereignty. So God, you got this. God, you're in control, but I don't understand. So because I don't understand, you're the only one I can go to. So why? and how long, and why me? And see, if you're gonna to come to God with that kind of approach, I pray you do it like that. Not because I did it, but because that's the way to go in faith. It's not doubting. It's not shaking the fist and saying, well, God, you're a jerk. It's, there's no bitterness there. It's a God, you could be doing otherwise, but you're not, so why? And you're trying to get at God's mind. You're trying to get underneath. It's like, okay, God, so what, 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 what is going on here? Why, why is this what you've chosen for us? And you're coming in out of just an ignorance and wanting to know. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's what I recommend. That's the approach I recommend when um, you have the hows and the whys with God. And it's good to have those. It's good to come to God with those things. But do so from a perspective of faith, not a perspective of doubt. So why am I going through this in my marriage? Why am I going through this at my work? Why or how long do I have to deal with this in my life? So your, 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 your input there with God is, God, you're in control. And so I'm just asking because I don't know. And I want to know why. 
because I know you love me. So you've got a plan for me. That's where I was like, I was like, God, I, I don't know why you have me go through this. And there was, um, I don't remember a lot back then, but I remember, I remember this, this comic book strip that I saw and the, the top, the top part of it had this guy who um, had lost his contact lens. He was out in the forest somewhere and it fell out and he's praying to God, God, please help me find my contact lens. And the second frame shows this ant, this little creepy crawly ant on the ground. And he's carrying this big thing. And he's like, well, God, I don't know what this is. It sure is heavy and I can't eat it, but you've called me to carry it. And you want me walking towards it with this on my back. So I'm going to do it. And as the comic plays out, the guy sees his contact lens crawling along the ground. He's like, oh my gosh, there it is. You answered my prayer. I feel like that ant. I don't know why, God, you called this for me. But I know you've got a plan. I know, I know you know your business better than I know anyone else's business. So I'm going to march forward. And that, I remember that comic speaking to me because I felt like that little ant. And Mick text saying, God wants us to be completely dependent on him and really teaching us to live by faith rather than sight. It's a faith journey. Exactly right. And I learned that in my journey with my MS, especially those early years, I didn't know what the Samuel I was going to do. And God taught me to depend upon him. Habakkuk's got to learn that too, but he gets to call out and tolerance with God. Let's just briefly deal with this tolerance. Why do you tolerate this? See, this is the problem with tolerance. It is the king of our age. People want people, want people to tolerate things. How dare you not tolerate this? You are so intolerant. And tolerance is really weak. Because people who are calling for tolerance, number one, usually are not very tolerant themselves. But number two, they want more than tolerance. They just don't want tolerance. They want acceptance and they want approval. Don't you just tolerate? So we want to tolerate, you know, we want to have these issues where we don't tolerate these other things. But you know what? Don't tolerate your own sin. Don't tolerate your own sinfulness. And when you, when you tolerate it, you let it go and you give yourself excuses. God, why do you tolerate these things? God is sovereign. I don't think God tolerates anything. As if to say, well, I'll just put up with it for a little bit now. No, God has a plan. And we're told that God is patient with us or slow with us to bring people to repentance, to give them time to repent. But there's no, there's no pulling the wool over God's eyes. So I'm not too cool with the word tolerance in God. It just doesn't play with my view of God's sovereignty. But that's where Habakkuk is right now. God, all this stuff is going on. And I think you're God, right? You can do things right, God. Why are you letting this go? And the beauty of Habakkuk is this. Scroll down here. God answers. And let's read, let's read his answer first in 5 to 11. This, this, is, this is God, Yahweh, speaking here. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong and horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They are all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people. 
whose own strength is her God. Wow, God. Wow. God responds by making Habakkuk's question bigger. It's like Habakkuk is saying he's bringing up this little national issue or societal issue, and God takes it from your nation to geopolitics. God makes it international. Does God answer Habakkuk's question? I don't think so. How long, God? It's as if, it's as if God is saying, watch this. You think that's bad. Watch this. Check out this evil. You want to complain about that evil? I'm, doing, I'm going to show you this evil. This is coming. And uh, you think that's bad? I've got worse for you. And yeah, there's, there's no, emotionally satisfying is not here. Um, I don't think Habakkuk got his Habakkuk hug here. He comes to God and he's laying out his heart and he's asking God, for at least God to say, you know, we would expect God to say like this. Okay, well, you know what, pal? You know, thanks for bringing this up. You know, give us like the old HR boilerplate response. Thanks for bringing this up. I get it. Life is rough. Just hold on. Help is on the way. Things are going to get okay. I know you got to wait 600 years, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conquer sin or whatever. We, we're, we're expecting something like that. Or you know what? I get it. You're my people. I'm still God. I know this is hard, but just wait. We're expecting that. We're not expecting God saying in a theological sense how someone might say, well, hold my drink. Watch this. Watch what I'm going to do. And verse 6. I don't like verse 6. Do you like verse 6? I am raising up the Babylonians. I'm going to take a drink of my coffee and let that sit with you for one second. How is that comforting to Habakkuk? I am raising up the Babylonians, the Babylonians. And in case you forget, God then goes on and gives them a, uh, he, he fills out their, their, their press release about how bad they are. If God thinks you're a bad dude, I think you're a bad dude. And God just goes for like, uh, was it seven verses? And talks about how awesome and amazing and evil these people are. Yeah. You're killing me, God, Mick says. Yeah, that's right. Look at these nations. Be amazed. I am raising up the Babylonians. Why would God say that? How could God be, how could, I thought we're your people, God. How come these people have become your people? Whose side do you want? Yeah. Well, a contemporary of Habakkuk is Jeremiah. Nahum's a contemporary. We just talked about him. Um, who's another one? I don't know about Isaiah. Maybe some, some later Isaiah. But Jeremiah, definitely. Check this out. Jeremiah 25. It's in blueprint here. And though the Lord has sent all the servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, turn now each of you from your own evil ways and your evil practices. And you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods or serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. This is God speaking to his people. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you have aroused my anger with, that, with what your hands have made. And you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this. Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Uh-oh. 
declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones, the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Mic drop. God's already called it. So we read verse six. Where is this coming from? This is where it came from. God's already called it, people. You're not turning back to him. So God's going to bring judgment. These are God's agents, so get ready. Yeah. Zephaniah, Daniel, and possibly Ezekiel, the priest. Yeah, contemporaries. You bet. What about the theological reality of a God who actually judges? There's another, another comic strip that I remember. The first slide says, who wants change? And all hands are raised. They stay up. The second slide, who wants to change? And all the hands are down. We're great with the idea of a God who punishes his enemies. But what happens when you become the enemy? Israel. Judah. When God says, turn back to me, and you don't do it. When we have to bury a loved one, and we don't know if they knew Jesus or not, and we have to contemplate. Those aren't fun funerals. With those funerals, I stop talking about the, the, the deceased person real quick. And I focus my thoughts towards the audience. And I say something like this, but we're still here. Let's talk about salvation right now. I can't speak about the one that's in that casket. I wish I could. I can't. But I can speak to you. Those are hard funerals to do. See, we like the fact that God, that God judges evil. We hope he does. We look at the news and go, ooh, but they're going to get theirs. We, we sometimes go through oppression and suffering by brought on by other people or outside influences. And we're, we're praying to God, how long do I kind of keep going through that? We're praying that God will take care of that business and protect us. We need this to happen. But then when God does punish, you've got to be prepared for that. For God to be just, he has to judge. We need this to be a reality. God's answer is very hard. It's probably not what Habakkuk is wanting to hear. Habakkuk is looking for answers. And God says, just wait. I get it, your, your society is evil, and that's why they're coming. Yeah, next text, and that's what makes the grace of Jesus so huge. Yeah, this is all of our story. Just like when we ended Nahum, Nahum chapter 3. Assyria's story was our story outside of Christ. Here we are. Any of us who are living our own way, who are rejecting God, this is our story. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. Well, Habakkuk, let's keep going here. He takes in God's answer, and he asks again, 12 to 17. And by the way, there's no answer in chapter 1 for this set of questions here. we got to wait. Here it is. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. In fact, that's not my favorite translation there. It literally says in the Hebrew, 
something that my childhood is celebrating. One of my favorite movies growing up was Goonies. And what's a great line from the Goonies? Goonies never die. In the Hebrew, it says, we will never die. And so modern translations translated to speaking to God. No, he's speaking in faith here. We will not die. <clears throat> it's good. I'm getting choked up. We will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls at them with their hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. He rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, God? Destroying nations without mercy? And then I put here verse 1 of chapter 2 because we don't get an answer yet. He says in chapter two, the verse first, very first verse, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. Dude standing on a, on a wall looking out. You can picture seeing, are they coming yet? Is the army here yet? Are they gonna come whip us yet? I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this. Wow. See, Habakkuk responds when God gives him this information, he responds this way. He starts to quote to God what he knows about God. That's really cool, by the way. We're going to get there, the purple thing at the bottom. He starts quoting to God what he knows about him. I like there's that uh, song that uh, it's not really new, but it, it's, it's, it's still out there. Um, I forget who it is. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. He says, I know you're good, but I don't feel good right now, she says. And I don't know what she's going through, like a miscarriage. Or she's going through something really horrible and personal. I think I heard an interview by her, the songwriter. She's like, I know you're good, God, but this doesn't feel good right now. That's Habakkuk chapter one. Dang. It's like, God, you're the holy one. You've got this. He's quoting to God literally what he knows about God. And how do you know things about God? You're in master class theology. No, no, no. You read God's word. These great attributes. How do I know how to pray? I don't know how to pray when I'm going through something. Okay, God, you're good. You've got this. I'm going to be still and know that you're God. God, you provide. You're a great provider. God, you can care for me. You're my carer. I get, it's like, he quotes what he knows about God. The second he shows faith, we shall not die. We're going to, going to endure. Amidst all this, it's like Habakkuk has this faith that kind of looks at what a remnant might look like. The same idea where, where Elijah is, is, is running away from Jezebel after the great Mount Carmel experience. And he's like, oh, all is lost. And God's like, no, no, no. There is still a great number who have not bent the knee to Baal. I still got people. 7,000. Oops. 7,000. All right. Nice. I've still got people, he says. It's like you, all is not lost. So there's some kind of hope. We're not going to die, God. You're still going to have hope. They're still going to give us hope. God's people are to live in anticipation till God consummates his kingdom. Uh, yeah, that's a great kingdom plug there, Mick. Nice job. Uh, go listen to Mick's podcast. That's good, good stuff. But yeah, 
we're, we're living between this already and the not, and not yet. Here we are. We're not going to die. It's like, God, you're going to bring these people, but there's hope. We have faith, God, because we're still your people. And there's some of us who have not yet bowed the knee. We're going to turn back to you. I love that. We will not die. We'll never die. Wow. Habakkuk further processed the situation. He doesn't know what to do. He's talking about these guys are, are, are jerks, and this is what they do. And you're going to tolerate this, God? Is he going to keep emptying his net? I love that in verse 17. This guy that's fishing for the nations, you want to talk about Jesus calling people fishers of men? This first comes in Habakkuk too. Not with that salvation, but with conquering. Is he going to keep emptying his net, God? Are you going to let this happen some more? But you know what? It doesn't matter. Because we're going to, we're going to endure. There's faith there. Responding in faith to what we do know and what we don't know. Hey, what do you know? You do know that God is faithful. You do know that God has got this. You do know that God is your provider. You build your house on that. What don't you know? You don't know how things are going to play out. You don't know how God's going to end history. You don't know how God's going to end these political things we're going through. You don't have no idea how God's going to end COVID. You have no idea what God is going to do in a, in a specific way. Yes, we have the Bible. It teaches us that God's team is going to win and that God is going to end human history God's way. But regards the specifics about your life, your broken marriage, your broken work life, your, your, your kids, all, the, all these things, your parents, it's that you don't know what God's going to do. So what you do know, you, you, you rest on that. What you don't know, you trust. And you place your hope in God, not your hope in your situation. Habakkuk had no hope in his situation. They were toast. His only hope is in God. That's it. Yeah, we, we know the end. We just don't know the means. That's right, Mick. We, 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 God, Habakkuk, his faith rests in what he does know. So in your life, listener, there's a lot that you know. There's a whole lot you don't know. You can either choose to let what you don't know keep you up and keep you depressed and in anxiety, or you can choose to rest upon what you do know, that God is faithful, that God's got this. How can a person have hope in the face of judgment? Um, your only chance is Jesus. Why are you saved? You're saved from God's wrath, that God's wrath is due for your sin. And unless somebody, I, I just had this conversation with my son. We're driving home. We picked up some Chinese food, okay? And all of a sudden, he's, he's about to cry in the back seat. He's really having an emotional moment. He, you know, it was a daddy-son experience, you know, hop in our car. They didn't really have any AC anymore. It's really hot. The windows are down. And he starts, you know, talking about, about something. I'm like, Joshua, what's going on? He says, I'm afraid. Why are you afraid? Well, I know I've done bad things, and I'm afraid of hell. I don't want to go to hell. Unprompted. I'm, I'm afraid. I, I, I've, done, I've done bad things in my life, and I don't want to go to hell. Well, that's adorable. He's eight. But it was a theological conversation ready-made. Roll up the windows, endure the heat, and let's go for it so we can hear each other. Would you, what, why, why would you not have hell? Well, what, how, how would you know you're saved? How would you understand salvation? Well, Jesus died on the cross, but why? Well, because he loves me. Yes, God loves you. But what did that accomplish? And, and we're talking about what God did. He got mad at God. He's like, God, why would you do that to your son? Don't you love your son? 
Why would you send your son to die for me? Yep. I may not ever hear a better question than that. I say, because he loves you, son. That's your only hope. In the face of a God who has to judge to still be God. That's your only hope. That's it. Responding to your crisis in Habakkuk's way. One, two, three, and four. Number one, so you're going through a crisis in your life. You're going through some crap right now that really stinks. And how do you respond? Got a text coming in. Like Abraham, we know God is going to fulfill promises regarding a nation through Isaac. You're right. Even when asked by God to sacrifice him every day, we are in situations like this, knowing God is faithful to promises he made to us. That's right. If all you had was the book of Genesis, you have enough. A good start. You, you, you know that God is going to take care of his business because of just the book of Genesis, what he's already prophesied about. Well, what do you do when, when you're going through your crisis? All right, this is the meat and potatoes of our text today. Number one, proclaim and rest in the holy attributes of God. Rest in those. God, you are good. God, you are God. God, you are holy. God, you are just. God, you provide. You know, go through, start going through names. Read the book of Psalms, see what they say. Google, like, what are some great names of God? Just start going through them. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Although, just keep going. God, you provide. God, you care. God, you rest in those things. When you're, in the, when you're going through the, the, the biggest amount of stuff you're going through, rest in what you know about God. If you want to, you can be anecdotal about this, too. And say, look back at your life. And, and that's kind of number two. See your situation through the lens of scripture. Look back at your life and say, okay, God, I don't know what's going to happen now, but here's how you provided for me in the past. And that's a biblical thing to do. That's why when they crossed the Jordan River, they said, bring some stones and make a monument. So when they pass by again, you can tell your kids what happened. I mean, remembering God is a great thing. That's the word, Zechariah, remembering God. It's like that, yes, it's like, remember what God has done, how he has been faithful, then move forward. See your situation in the lens of scripture. Number three, take God at his word. That's all Habakkuk had, was God's word. Okay, God, you've got this. You're the holy God. You're the rock. We're not going to die. You've got this. Respond in faith and hope with the continued trust. My friends, I've had this disease for 20 years. It hasn't been easy. I've had some, some good times. I've had some harder times. I met with my neurologist recently, and she's pretty happy with me. She's like, you know, if you're going to have MS, have your MS. Okay. I don't mind hearing that. I mean, there's times where I, just, I, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. When I woke up the next day thinking, what, what am I, what's my new symptom going to be? I had to learn faith during those years. I call those years my baby step years. It's trusting in God each new day. Am I not going to be able to feel my fingers? Am I not going to be able to feel my toes? Am I going to, what is it, God? Am I going to have weakness, numbness? It took for me my, my singing voice. It took for me all these things. And I, I don't know, God, what do I do? I don't know. But here's what I did know. That God was faithful. What I didn't know, what was going to happen in my life, I had no clue. But here's what I did know. God is faithful. 
Habakkuk's now had two shots at God. And we see, we hear faith in there. He's still trusting God, even in the midst of his issues. And I believe God's going to say one more thing to him. And that's going to be in chapter two. But right now, Habakkuk doesn't even know that God's going to respond. He's just waiting. And that's where we're at. We have God's word, but some of us want more. Some of us want to know what's going to happen next. And we struggle. Let me tell you, friends, that struggle is okay. But struggle in faith. Don't struggle with your faith. Struggle in faith. In your struggle, as you begin to say, how long, God? Why, God? What's your deal, God? Just remember, he's God, and he's got this. If he's the God of the, if he's the Alpha and the Omega, that means he's the God of the A and God of the Z. If he's the God of the A and the Z, he's the God from the B to the Y. He's still God. Maybe we're, maybe we're at the S or maybe we're at the M. I don't know what letter we're at, but he's still God. So treat him like God. He's got this. What you don't know, trust him. What you do know, rest in that. And if you do struggle with God, get in line. Some of the greats in Scripture do as well. This has been Masterclass Theology from Habakkuk Chapter 1. We'll see you next week, guys.